you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Prairie Justice presents the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Howdy and welcome back to Prairie Justice's Megasode celebration of Leading Comics number four. Uh, from the comic from the fall of 1942 that features the seven soldiers of victory. And now we're going to feature today in an episode one of the key members of the seven soldiers. Why do I think of the key members? <coughs> Look at the name on the sign. All right, there you go. Yes, of course, today we're going to visit with the vigilante and he's going to uh, be taking on a, a man named Palati or probably the uh, writer meant to call it Pallet but I'm taking a little bit artistic license here sorry Mr. Finger I just think Palati sounds better than Pallet well Mr. Palati is a man of great taste quite literally so before we uh, begin that, as has been our custom here on this Megazode, perhaps we should introduce ourselves to Vigilante, and I'd like to bring in a special guest to actually talk about that. You're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Is an exploration of the DC Comics character, the first superhero to use the name of the Vigilante. First published in Action Comics 42 in September 1941, amid comics' golden age and carried as a continuous feature, during those years the Vigilante was also a member of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. and was one of the first DC heroes to appear on the cinema screen in his own serial. Reappearing in the Bronze Age, the Vigilante had a 1970s renaissance throughout the DC Universe. Greg Saunders, the Prairie Troubadour, leads a double life as a modern country and western musician while also delivering justice throughout North America as a masked crime fighter, using the tactics and weapons of his rural Wyoming upbringing with his friends Billy Gunn and Stuff Leong, many a nefarious scheme was foiled with six guns, ingenuity, a motorcycle and a twirling lariat. Howdy, I'm Ranger Gord. Help me follow the trail of the Vigilante on Podbean, Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Well, thank you there, you handsome devil. I am beside myself with gratitude. Yeah, you saved me some breath. I wonder if that's a first. Has anybody ever pr- done a podcast promo on their own show? <laughs> We're a world of firsts here on Prairie Justice, folks. So, I guess with all that out of the way, let's just head right on and see what happens when the vigilante and Billy Gunn meet the man who is afraid to eat. I know they're licking their chops to get after Mr. Pilati. See you on the other side. The Vigilante, Chapter 5 
Meet the fourth of the evil sixth senses, amazing henchman, the man with the super taste. Super villainy is his also, as he leads a band of plunderman looters in a successful quest for a blue-white gem of blazing brilliance. But sweet success turns to bitter defeat, and the man of super taste gets a taste of super trouble. Served by that valiant lawman of the Old West, the Vigilante. For with looping lariat and flashing fists, the Vigilante rides herd over gun-slinging bandits who dish out trouble to the man who was afraid to eat. Poised high on a cloud-piercing mountaintop is a solitary brooding house a mansion seemingly cut off from the outside world. Inside that house, pudgy fat fingers toss food scraps to an eager dog. The dog snaps at it, chews once, twice, and falls over. Dad, what's the fifth dog in two weeks? Somebody in my house is poisoning my food. I daren't fire my servants or call the police. News would leak out. There'd be pictures, and the world would learn. Learn that I'm not Carl Dinner, but in reality, Carl Dennison, the once slim and handsome movie idol. Now a grossly fat monstrosity. I couldn't stand that. I couldn't. At that very moment, an electric cable car zooms up through space towards that same mansion. So the Sixth Sense bribed Denner's cook to poison his food. So what? How does that get us that blue-white diamond he's got? By psychology. Psychology? Exactly. That means that Leo Pilati, the man with the sense of super taste, will find it easy just to get to see Denner. Just watch me. <laughs> Minutes later, Palati stands before the curious dinner. My butler informs me you want a position as my food taster. Uh, that's right, chum. I have super taste. I'll demonstrate if your cook will bring in some food. Blindfolded nostrils corked with only a split-instant dart of his tongue, Palati identifies the various foods. Potatoes, beets, chicken, egg, carrots. Oh, there's poison on these carrots. What? I'll test that on one of my mongrels. The hungry mongrel eats his last meal. He's dead. Man, I'd hire you now, but how do I know this is not an act so you can poison me, even murder me, right now? <laughs> because, chum, I'm a crook, and as long as you're alive, I've got a chance to steal your blue-white diamond. You're a tough man, Percival, who wouldn't tell where that diamond is, even under torture. But I can keep you alive. You'll make a slip sometime, 
and lead me to the gym, see? Well, that's what I call being frank. Your job is to keep me alive, so you can eventually steal from me. Suddenly, a hissing lariat loops about the startled thugs. Stand still, you coyotes. Vigilante's taking over. Don't make a move, varmints. That voice. Holy cats. If that's the vigilante, he sure has shrunk. Ha. Why, it's only my little nephew, Percival. Ha ha ha. I certainly fooled you chaps, didn't I? Ripping fun, eh, what? Gee, the kid don't speak English so good. He's got a foreign accent. Percival is from England and is staying with me for the duration. He's become a cowboy fan and a great admirer of the vigilante. As you can plainly see. Yes, too plain for me. Get rid of the squirt so we can talk business. You can go to your room now, Percival. Percival, say, Uncle, it would be jolly if you were to address me as Nevada. About your offer. There yet again. But we just saw the kid leave, so... So, it must be the real. Right, chum. The real vigilante this time. We've been listening to your confab for quite a smell. And we figure it's time we broke up this shindig. Enter the lawman of the plains, the vigilante, and his pard Billy Gunn, the cowboy from Times Square. Abruptly, a furtive knife flashes from a vest pocket, slashes the taut lariat. And like released rattlers, the gunmen are poised to strike. Vidge, look out! Okay, guys, give him a taste of lead but a biting lash of the lariat snicks the gun from trigger-itching fingers. Okay, Billy. Now let's give him what for. You mean what for they pulled guns on us, Vidge? Could be, Billy. Could be. Here you are, pal. Food for thought. And your fat stomach. Now you two varmints stay put. Or else I'll see you stay put permanent lock. Well, Mr. Dinner, I think your diamond will be safe from these vultures. Thanks. For nothing. Ow. Why has Dinner treacherously attacked his two rescuers? I'm sorry, Vigilante, but I don't intend to lose my food taster or my life by poison. So you've decided to accept my offer, eh? Yes. You can save me from being poisoned. And you can try to steal my gem, if you can find it. Both agree to the bargain outwardly, but their inner thoughts... Long time. Eh. Bah. That was before I knew of the kid. I'm going to use that kid, Percival, to make you give me that stone. <laughs> he'll never find that diamond, because I've put it where he'll never find it. Then, half-consciously... The Vidge and Billy are imprisoned in a dungeon-like room. <laughs> that ought to put you in cool storage for a while. Now, I think we ought to drink to our mutual success. No poison, and maybe no diamond. <laughs> I get you, boss. 
Nothing like an ice cube to make a drink cold, eh? Ha ha ha. That's right. <laughs> I got the brat snooping outside. I'm resigning my food tasting job. Now, I get the gym or the kid gets blasted. Meanwhile, what of the vigilante and Billy Gunn? Billy, they took our guns, but not our cartridges. It won't be long now. Well, if you ain't a slick one, you're shoving gunpowder into the lock. I sure hope this table is thick enough to protect us. We'll find out in one minute. Here she goes. An ear-deafening blast and the shattered lock spatters the makeshift shield. What's that? Sounded like an explosion. It... Ow! He bit me! I'll fix that kid! The angered thug fires, but his bullets scream harmlessly over the boy as a life figure hurtles forward. I'll plug you where you stand. Huh? Low bridge, son! I say, you're the vigilante. How do you do, sir? No time for greetings now, son. This place will be whistling with bullets any time. Vig, we're stuck. That archway is the only way out of here, and Pilates' mob is out there waiting. Say, what are all those boxes of breakfast food piled here? I bought them. I sent the box tops to the company for this vigilante cowboy suit that they gave away. Sudden darkness. Them coyotes turned the lights off. Probably hoped to ambush us in the dark. We won't be able to hear them unless... <laughs> Outside, under the cover of darkness, Pilates' mob moves in for the kill. Okay, guys. We'll creep in on them softly. Then I'll yell. And I'll turn on the lights. We'll cut them down before they know what hit them. Trapped with death approaching in the dark, what can the vigilante do? With tiger stealth, the killers approach. Then sound splits the air. What, what are we stepping on? Okay, Billy. Now, let's take him. A bewildered thug switches on the lights, revealing... Nice trick, you're scattering cornflakes on the floor. It worked, too. When they stepped on the cornflakes in the dark, the crunching noise revealed their positions so we could pick them off like this. Nevada Pete rides again. I know this isn't cricket, old chap, but I must put my cricket back to some use. Too much is too much and the hoodlums beat a hasty retreat from the mansion. Wow, that vigilante can hit. No diamonds worth that mess of trouble. Look, that cable car, come on. Veg, them coyotes is getting away. Shucks. Think so, Billy? Keep your eyes on this bolo I rigged up. Out hiss the weighted ends to snake tightly around the cable. And then, clinging to the rope, the lithe lawman leaps into aerial pursuit. Up the swaying rope and gains the cable car. You, I thought I'd lost you. Haven't you heard they call me the diligent vigilante? 
Iron fists crack heavily on yielding jaws as the vigilante pounds at the cowardly Okay, cross. Mr. Super Taste. This time you bit off more than you can chew. Later, Pilati and company in bonds, the vigilante confers with Denner. Denner, I realize why you accepted Pilati's offer, but you took a big chance. He might have found that diamond. I doubt it, but let me explain. To ward off possible theft, I've been keeping the gem in my personal refrigerator. Camouflage perfectly inside an ice cube. Suddenly, a tear gas bomb. <laughs> now I'll collect that reward from the sixth sense instead of Pilate. The cook, the treacherous poisoning cook, in the pay of the sense master. Minutes later, the group recovers to find. My cook poisoned my meals, and now there he goes with my diamond. You'll get that gem back. I know where he's taking it. Come on, Ridge. We've got to be traveling. This is where we break camp. But our trails will cross again sometime. So long, Nevada Pete. I say, you are a bit of all right. Well, all lang syne and cheerio, partner. And so, to the evil sixth sense, comes the crooking cook. Here, boss. The blue-white diamond. But I wanted to tell you about the... Save the details till later. Right now I'm interested only in the diamond. And as the crook leaves... The fourth gem. And I climb one step higher to the power that shall make me a king of all men. First off, I'd like to say that in this production of this radio drama and this podcast, no dogs were harmed or fed poisoned food. Now, with that out of the way, we have met Mr. Carl Denner, nee Carl Dennison, a film star who uh, is a little ashamed that he has put on a few pounds in since his years since he was... Uh, had his salad days on the silver screen and given the timing of this probably likely Carl Denner was a leading man in the silent movie era and probably never made the transition into the talkies and into the intervening years uh, as we all do got a little bit of middle-aged spread and put on the portliness as, as such, he's very protective of himself and his reputation and doesn't really want anybody to know that uh, his former self has become his present self. Something that Mr. Pilati was wants to play on. And he uses this one word along with his henchmen, uh, actually probably the uh, Sixth Sense's henchmen, psychology. I wonder how many times we ever heard that word psychology ever used in a comic book in the 1940s, especially this early in the 1940s. Well, this is a Bill Finger car uh, production, and Bill Finger is a much more mature sort of a writer. That's why, that's why Batman persists today, and not because of the other creator.
but because of the creative kick in the pants that Bill Finger gave the character over the years. Now a very solitary man and very fearful for his reputation and for his wealth. Uh, Mr. Denner is a bit of a recluse, although we are going to meet a companion very soon. And that companion happens to be a vigilante that has dried up in the laundry. And unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see Mr. Young, uh, the English lad, Percival, who worships vigilante. And that's too bad, because I'd love to have seen what he would have grown up to and helped out Greg in the intervening years. Speaking of help, I should uh, probably don't need to tell you that Billy Gunn is going to be acting as Vidge's uh, assistant slash sidekick. His own Sancho Panza as opposed to Stuff. I guess every three months Stuff gets an issue off and Billy Gunn gets uh, to keep his uh, health insurance for a little bit. And of course Carl is very fearful and um, this is how the Pilati works on Carl. The psychology of um, his fear of being poisoned. And of course as we've learned with the experimental dogs he is indeed being poisoned. Well, Vigilante manages to undo the plot, but then Denner is so uh, fearful that he actually betrays Vigilante. He actually throw it, goes and uh, breaks a chair over Billy and, and Vidge's neck, uh, thus enabling Pilati to put them into the requisite death trap, which this time isn't much of a death trap. Once again, and this is your Dave McElevaney moment, Nobody takes the cartridges away. They do take the gun away, but nobody seems to take the bullets away. And of course, what is inside a bullet? Powder. And what is a powder? It's an explosive. I know quite a bit about this. And uh, I was really proud of Vidge here. He managed to make himself a fuse and uh, get those cartridges open and blow his way to freedom. As we are doing this, Carl Denner has revealed that uh, the emerald is hidden somewhere where he doesn't think anybody's going to find as he plunks a cube of ice into Pilati's drink. And then Pilati triple crosses uh, Denner's double cross once he thinks he has figured it out. And of course he has. Denison, it, Denison slash Denner is actually keeping the diamond inside an ice cube inside his bar fridge. Well, Percival comes along and he feels no loyalty to his uncle. And this is where Vidge and Billy Gunn managed to find out how Percival got the clothes that he has. Because apparently you can save up cornflakes, cut off the box tops, and send away for a vigilante costume. Ugh, Greg, you are so good at marketing. I hope that you, your agent is working out very, very well. <laughs> you got to deal with cornflakes to sell your clothes. Well, Percival, or shall we call him Nevada Pete, uh, does help uh, Vidge get away. 
Vig again never uses his guns, but he does use the lariat and he makes himself an Argentinian style bolo on which he manages to get upon the, uh, the sky tram that Pilates using for his escape route and manages to uh, catch up with Pilates. Now, someone else has figured out where the emerald is, even though Pilates did not. And that is, wait for it. Do you remember this guy from the Shining Knight chapter? The cook, of course. Who else could be poisoning dinner's food and killing dogs? But that vile old cook, yes. Uh, Chekhov's chef has appeared. Uh, he throws in the requisite tear gas bomb. I think this is the second time we've seen tear gas used in the uh, in in this megasode. And even though the cook gets the blue diamond and manages to get away and to deliver it to the sixth sense, well, Vigilante assures Mr. Denner that he knows how to get that diamond back and he knows exactly where to find him. So Vidge and his uh, Nevada Pete part ways and he and Billy Gunn are off. Don't get used to Billy. He's not going to appear again in this story. Sorry, spoilers. I guess uh, him and Wing get to go to the locker room and have a, dare I say it, a plate of wings. Roy Thomas's free adaptation in All-Star Squadron 56 once again boils nine pages down to one as Leo Pilati and Mr. Dennison meet. And uh, we see the, uh, the whole meeting and affair between Percival Pop and the using of the explosion and the, the explosive uh, cartridges as it were. And really, in these few panels, I have to say, it doesn't really tell you anything. So it's really too bad in some ways that uh, this All-Star Squadron issue doesn't really freely adapt this well. Um, I don't haven't found any of these stories other than possibly the Crimson Avenger one and the introductions and the conclusion, which are yet to get, really getting me up to speed on what's happening. And we get none of this uh, aspect of the, you know, such as the chef that was introduced in Chapter 2 and then appears here in Chapter 5 and so on and so on. Or Chapter 3, rather. Thank you. And so, so we don't really get a sense of Bill Finger breaking the formula. Not to mention, Mike Clark, I'm sure you're a very nice guy, but good lord, you can't draw a cowboy hat to save your life. Um, this looks like something that I'd see on a cowboy on um, a Kellogg's Sugar Smacks uh, of the 1960s or something like that. It's just so cartoony and awful and misshapen. I can't even believe we can call that a, a hat. And by the way... Um, we haven't played our game with Vigilante yet. As you recall, we always want to tell you what uh, color a hat Vigilante is wearing in each one of his Golden Age stories. And in the original uh, print, he is wearing a tan-colored hat. So it looks like a felt, but it is indeed tan-colored. 
and he appears to have a darker colored uh, hat band around it. In the Mike Clark version, uh, the ridiculous hat is white, and quite frankly, it owes more to Yosemite Sam than it does to Ed Debrotka or Mort Meskin or anybody else that's ever drawn the vigilante. So no, I am getting uh, less and less impressed on this free adaptation. We'll see how the uh, next chapter goes with Green Arrow and see maybe the conclusion will be a little bit better. I certainly hope so. So with that, I'll let you get on with your day and uh, have a good one wherever you are and whatever you're doing. And we'll see you again here in a few chat in a few uh, few days with uh, the penultimate chapter, number six. I love it when I can use that word penultimate. Uh, with the Golden Age, Green Arrow, and Speedy. So bye for now, and I hope you're getting excited because we're rolling towards the end of this megasode. Bye for now. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs>